That's fun. That's fun. Well, we have uh, three families in this in the second service, and we'll hope to catch up with one of the families that we missed uh, this uh, this morning. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, last week we started this new conversation called uh, "More Blessed," and uh, if you remember, it ended in a challenge, and the challenge was uh, it was kind of a dare, actually. If you go through a f- if, if you go through the line at Starbucks this week, if you uh, get a burger at McDonald's or Burger King or wherever, if you go to the taqueria, why don't you just do something wild and crazy and pay it forward and buy, pay for someone else in line? I want to know, anybody do that? Who did that? Anybody do that? All right, Russ did it. Okay, a couple folks. All right. Hey, so that means we've got another week that we can keep doing this. Uh, because, yeah, that's good. I want you to keep doing it. Uh, Russ, where'd you do it? Starbucks. Starbucks. How much did it put you out? Oh, yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, I did that this week. I did it, and it was fun to do. Uh, the, the point was to stretch our generosity muscle a little bit. That's kind of the idea that... We want to stretch our generosity muscle a little bit. And I don't make a habit of doing this. And actually, when I go to Starbucks, I don't, you know, I have this reputation that's it's not like that, really. I probably go to Starbucks maybe two or three times a week, maybe. Um, and, uh, but what I do is I use my phone and I pre-order so that when I get there, all I do is walk in the door, go to the counter, pick up my drink, and walk out the door. It's ready for me. It's waiting. It's got my name on it. And that's... That's uh, how I do it. And so I don't even, you know, I'm just in and out. But this week I wanted to pay for someone else's coffee. So I went to the Plazaway store and, uh, you know, I had to park in the Manny Petty place next door <laughs> because all the parking spots were filled and the drive through was backed up almost to the entrance. And I went in, but there was not really anyone there wasn't anyone standing behind me in line. And so I paid for my coffee. And then I said, I'd like to buy someone else's coffee. No one behind me in line, and she said, it was so easy. She said, okay, let me look in the drive-thru, and she, at, right there at the screen, she said, okay. She pulled it up, and I left, and someone, when they pulled up to the window, got a free latte, and just fun. And the point was, I actually had someone ask me, uh, someone from Trinity, as I was leaving, they were coming, and we talked, and, and uh, I, you know, it came up. You know, I bought this person's coffee because we were talking about Sunday. And they said, well, did you say, you know, this is for Jesus or from Trinity or something like that? And I said, no. And she said, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me if you don't do that. And I said, well, really, this isn't for them. This is for me. This is for my generosity muscle. It wasn't to make a point for them. It was to uh, stretch me. And that was my point. So Lisa, the same day, it just turned out she did the same thing. And uh, she went to McDonald's, and she said she did it at McDonald's. I said, so what would you end up buying? And she said, five hamburgers and a chocolate shake. And it just made me laugh. We both laughed when she said it, five hamburgers and a chocolate shake, because it's not McDonald's when we go through the line. You know, when we go through the line... It's a complicated order, and it's big and long, and you've got to substitute this, and this person doesn't like that, you know? And so it's just like we have something. When we go through McDonald's and we order it, it's so unique they know it's us coming through, actually. And uh, 
So five hamburgers and a shake, a chocolate shake, it just sounded so normal that it made us both laugh. So here's, here's what I'd like you to do. The point is, we want to stretch our generosity muscle a little bit. And we need to do that as a faith family. And so I want to encourage you to consider doing that. And uh, why, why all the fuss? Well, the reason is this, because we are Jesus followers and we build our lives on his teachings and his way of life. And he had this against the grain uh, upside-down way of living that he called his followers to follow. And that includes the, you know, the, the last shall be first. It's, it's the last who are going to be first. And the first are going to be last. And if you want to be the greatest of all, you've got to be the servant of all. And if you want to really find your life, you have to be willing to lose it. And he, th- this person who said, These other upside-down statements also made this statement about generosity to his followers. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And and, uh, Jesus says that, oddly enough, in the book of Acts. Because if you know enough about the Bible, you wouldn't think to look for something Jesus said in the book of Acts. You'd look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of those four Gospels. But instead, this is contained in the book of Acts, and it's in Acts chapter 20. And we read this passage last week, but we can go ahead and open our Bibles. I'd like for you to see it in its context. We're really just honing in on the red words in this passage, but it's good to see the context, and it's always important anytime you hear any kind of teaching to put it in its context and understand that that's really what it's meant to say. And so I want us to at least see that in Acts chapter 20. This is Paul, and he's the church planter who who uh, used to oppose Jesus and then instead, uh, at a certain point, encountered the risen Jesus and changed his whole point of view about who Jesus is and uh, became a church planter and Jesus' greatest champion after his resurrection. And what Paul is doing, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's, he's uh, ministered in a city named Ephesus. He planted the church in Ephesus, raised up leaders, but now he's moving on somewhere else. And uh, he's... he's uh, sharing his last words with these leaders. And uh, in part, he's explaining his own generous behavior towards these people. He's explaining his generous behavior towards them. And uh, we're just going to kind of pick it up. We read more of the passage last week, but I just want to pick it up in verse 32. Uh, Well, you know, it's a great passage. Let's go ahead and start in verse 25. Now, I know that none of you uh, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me again. He knew he was leaving. And they wouldn't see him again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of of, uh, God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in from among you and not spare the flock. And even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard and remember... That for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Here he's, he's talking about, he's getting up, he's leading up to the statement, and he's talking about his generosity and, and his uh, lack of. Uh, 
lack of clamoring for money and that sort of thing. He says, I have not coveted anyone's gold, silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Paul is quoting from oral tradition here. Uh, He's quoting from oral tradition in the 20 years between Jesus' resurrection and this moment in time, Jesus' teachings have been passed on orally. And one of those that made it here but didn't make it in the Gospels is this statement that Jesus, no doubt used on more than one occasion, he taught, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you're here last week, you remember that the word blessed is a kind of word for happiness plus. Happiness plus, and it includes the idea of happiness, but it's not as shallow and fleeting as we sometimes think of happiness as being. It's bigger than happiness. It's happiness plus contentment and satisfaction and uh, this joyful, just right state of being that comes, uh, and here's the interesting part, it's this joyful, just right state of being that comes from God alone. It's something that comes from God. Happiness you can get, you know, happiness a person can experience through circumstances and, and events, but there's a kind of happiness that comes from God alone, and that's the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about here. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that generosity generates this kind of happiness. Generosity generates happiness. He says that as we practice Generosity. Now, that's a key word, practice. We have to practice. Generosity uh, doesn't produce happiness uh, through a one-off every now and then. But as we practice generosity, and remember, generosity includes a number of things. Finances. Uh, Generosity can include how you pay attention to someone. You, You can be generous with your ears and your eyes when you pay attention to someone. You can be generous with your talents when you take the abilities that you have and you use them to serve someone who's in need of them. Uh, Generosity through attention, generosity through possessions, generosity through our talents. As we practice this kind of generosity, we are more blessed. We get this happiness plus. So we are more blessed And we said last week, not only are we more blessed, but more are blessed. That uh, we are better off, and then the people we are generous to are also better off. That's why we said last week, pipes are happier than buckets. Pipes are happier than buckets because water flows through pipes, but it gets stuck in a bucket. And Jesus is saying, when we live like pipes, we are happier and better off than when we live like buckets. Now, there aren't many things that Jesus said that you can put in a test tube and run experiments on. Uh, And even if you could, that would be fraught with danger. Scientists and theologians both would not be comfortable with that idea. Uh, But, Sometimes you come across research that is so uncannily affirming of Jesus' teachings that you just have to stop and pay attention to it. And that's what I've discovered in this, uh, when it comes to generosity. 
It's pretty much established sociological fact that generous people are happier people. Established sociological fact. Generous people are happier people, and they're not just, they're not just happier people. They are flat out better in every measure of well-being. Generous people. I want to share some of these finds with you from a book that's called The Paradox of Generosity. It's based on an extensive study of generosity in the United States by two researchers uh, from the University of Notre Dame. Now, last week I teased you about just having to take Jesus' word for this. Uh, last week I teased you about just having to take Jesus' word for this, that we're, that we're better off and we do better when we're generous. And really, that should, that's enough for us. That's enough. We are Jesus' followers. He is our Lord. If he says something, even if it's counterintuitive, even if it's against our observation of things, we believe that Jesus uh, is right and we follow what he teaches. So, so we don't need any additional research. But sometimes a set of training wheels is helpful. Sometimes when you've got to do something scary, it's nice to know you've got a set of training wheels that's gonna, you know, that kind of give you the boldness to do something scary. And uh, in this book, the findings that connect generosity and well-being are so clear and so compelling that they can increase our confidence to try out something that Jesus teaches that maybe we're, we would otherwise be hesitant to try. So that's why I share this information with you. And here's what they find. This broad study of Americans... Uh, both generous, they find some who are generous, and they find some who are not, you know, not as generous. And what they do is they establish five measures of well-being. So five different ways they measure well-being. Happiness, physical health, obviously being healthy is a measure of a person's well-being. Uh, purpose in life, a sense of purpose and meaning and, and uh, reason to get out of bed. Avoidance of depression, and interest in personal growth. And these five different measures of well-being. These are the five measures that they use. And then they measure generosity, which includes things like finances, things like volunteering for some kind of organization or in your community. It includes being generous in your relationships, like in your family, where you are willing to sit down and give time and attention to a member of your family. You're willing to sit down and listen to them. Give them your uh, you know, effortful listening. Maybe sometimes when you don't feel like that. that that's generosity. Uh, caring enough to meet the needs of the people in your family. Generosity. A- another category of generosity that they measure is neighborly generosity. People who are willing to have people into their homes or, or will- willing to make a meal and take it to someone when they're sick. Or you- they're willing to have someone's ch- watch someone's kids while they go to a doctor's appointment. That kind of neighborly generosity. So they, so they take these five measures of well-being and all these different ways that people can be generous and they measure uh, how much those different ways a person can be generous impacts these five different measures of well-being. And uh, what they find, what they find is that people who practice, there's that word again, practice, people who practice generosity are better off in every single one of these measures. And I'd like to give you an example here in a minute. It's the, it's, uh, the hap- one happiness example. And this is an example of people who give 
10% of their income to something, all right? So that's a baseline that a lot of Jesus followers use in giving to their church. That's what the Henderson family gives to their church, uh, 10% back from our salary into this ministry. So a lot of people use 10% as just a baseline of, of generosity, and that's what they chose just to measure. They just said, we're going to talk to people who give 10% or more and people who give 10% or less away to whatever cause. And uh, here's, here's what they found. It takes a minute to process it, but this is happiness and giving 10%. What you have here is uh, very happy. The people who give 10% or more of their income versus people who do not. These people give 10% or more. These people do not. These people are very happy. These people are very or somewhat unhappy. A difference in happiness among those who give and those who don't, and statistically significant, for those of you who are waiting for those words. And then unhappy, the people who give 10% or more and are very or somewhat unhappy, uh, very or somewhat unhappy, 10% of people who give away 10% of their money are very or somewhat unhappy. But 15% of those who don't are very or somewhat unhappy. So what you see is a jump in happiness and a drop in unhappiness. Does that make sense? Okay? For people who give 10% or more of their money to some organization or cause uh, or causes that they believe in. Here's another example. This one is, uh, let's see, what do we got here? That next slide is health and giving 10%. So the same thing, 10%, give 10%, and how it impacts a person's health. Uh, Those who... Those who are in excellent or very good health, statistically significant increase in people who are in excellent or very good health and give away 10% of their money versus those who don't, and a drop in unhappiness, or, or I'm sorry, fair or poor health, a drop in those who are only in fair or poor health in the generous ones, and an increase of those who are in lousy health, we'll call it, uh, of those who hang on to their Hang on to that 10%. Let me show you one more. Just, just, they have got, it's filled with charts. If you like charts, you'll like this book. Uh, this is a different subject. This is volunteering. Not giving away 10%, but being generous with your time and volunteering. But you see the same pattern. Those who are generous with their time are very happy, more than those who do not. And those, and those who are generous with their time not have a drop in unhappiness versus those who don't. There are more unhappy people uh, who are not volunteering. Now, I want you to see these are consistent in all of these five different measures of well-being. Same kind of the same kind of pattern in each of these. Uh, physical health, generous people are more healthy. Purpose in life, generous people have significantly higher sense of purpose in life and a reason to get out of bed. Avoidance of depression, uh, interest in personal growth, and the results are consistent and striking. And I know what you're thinking. What you're thinking is, well, of course generous people are happier. They have more money to give, right? Sure, they're happier because we're talking about they're already happier because they got more money and that's why they're generous. They're already healthier. That's why they're generous. Because they feel good and strong and vigorous, you know? And uh, 
It's the problem of causation, right? Which causes which? And researchers run into this all the time. And uh, the question is, are generous people happier? Or are, are happier people just more generous? And they tackle this issue in this, in this book. They're pretty smart people and well-regarded. And they, they understand what you already thought of. They thought of it too. And they've, uh, they've untangled. They, they, talk, they have spent probably half a chapter talking about trying to figure out what the causation is. And you know, it's, hard to, it's hard to untangle which causes which. And they make a point that you can't just look at the data and figure it out. And so uh, they acknowledge that it's a complicated issue, but they build a strong case that it's actually generosity that does the generating. They build a strong case for that. Now they say they admit it may not be the only, there may be some interplay between you're generous and you sense more purpose in life and you become more generous and you sense more purpose in life. And, you know, there may be some interplay, but they build a strong case for uh, understanding that generosity is the, the main generating effect in these things. So it's not health that generates generosity. It's generosity that improves your health. It's not happiness that improves your generosity. It's generosity that grows your happiness. And they make a strong point for this. And uh, they, they apply it to health and happiness and mental health and all these different categories. So here's what I'm saying. Turns out Jesus was right. Pipes are happier than buckets. Pipes are happier than buckets. And we've got to ask, well, why, is, why do you think that's true? I want to take a few minutes, and I want to give you five reasons pipes are happier than buckets. Reason number one, that pipes are happier than buckets. Pipes are happier than buckets. You're happier as a pipe than you are as a bucket, even if it seems counterintuitive, because you were designed to be a pipe. You were designed to be a pipe. That's the first and biggest reason that you're happier when you're being one. Because God made you to be a pipe and not a bucket. Jesus wouldn't teach us to try to be something God didn't create us to be. And especially if you're a Jesus follower, you weren't just designed to be a pipe. You were called to be a pipe. When you turned to Jesus and he adopt, God adopted you into his family, God transformed you into a pipe. If you need proof of that, Ephesians 2.10 is proof of that. It says, we are God's workmanship. God made you. Uh, created in Christ Jesus, God remade you to do good works, which God prepared beforehand, or in advance, for us to do. Now, what are those good works that God prepared, made us, and made us to do? What are those good works if they are not generosity? You, I can't think of a good work that you can do apart from your generosity. Every good work takes something from you. Every good work takes a resource that you have, or a talent that you have, or time that you have, or money that you have, or something that you, every good work takes something from you. Whether it's your money, or your time, or your energy, or your attention, or your hospitality. So the very nature of a good work depends on generosity. It depends on not hanging tightly onto what we have. God designed you to be a pipe. 
God designed you to, to uh, function as a pipe so you could connect with the good works that God has created you to do. So the very nature of a good work desi- depends on generosity. You were designed to be a pipe. Last week someone shared with me something their pastor used to say all the time. And it really stuck with me. There are certain things that God wants to give through you that he doesn't want to give to you. It's true. Now what happens if you're a pipe but you act like a bucket? What if you stop the flow and try to accumulate instead of distribute? That's called a clogged pipe. Or it's called constipation. You can uh, call it whatever you want. But it's very uncomfortable for a pipe when it begins to act like a bucket. No wonder we're unhappy when we're acting like buckets. When we're hanging on to things God really meant to go through us, not stop with us. But we're hanging on to them. Because they're ours now. That's going against how God created us to function. John Piper, who apparently must know something about pipes. Get it? You're right? Thanks. Um, says this, If a man is growing large in wealth, nothing but constant giving can keep him from growing small in soul. If God made you to be a pipe, and he's giving you what he wants to distribute through you, and you hang on to it, that is not a comfortable place to be. You were designed to be a pipe. Second reason that pipes are happier than buckets. Uh, Pipes are part of a bigger story. A pipe is part of a larger system. You know, pipes have a purpose. Pipes are going somewhere. Pipes are part of this bigger design, and they're playing their part in this larger system this larger story. They are not the whole system, but they are critical to the whole system. And they span from here to there for a reason. Buckets are just solitary, lonely, passive, isolated holders of things. But pipes have a purpose. I mean, as Jesus followers, our generosity is part of a larger story. It's part of a larger work that God is doing in the world. It's a this time and attention and money and resources that God gives us, it's meant to, u- to be used to make disciples in the church and make a difference in the world. And we know that we're part of this big thing that God is doing through, through the church. And when you allow resources to flow through you, then you're playing a part of that story in the church and in the world. That's why pipes are happier than buckets, because they're part of a bigger story. And the story is not just about them. Pipes are happier than buckets because pipes, number three, are connected to a constant supply. A pipe knows it doesn't own the water that passes through it. It just distributes it, and it's not worried about distributing it. It's not worried about what if I get rid of this water because it knows there's more right where that came from. And when you and I understand that there's more where that came from, we're not going to be afraid to function as pipes. When we understand that God owns everything, and everything we have, he gave to us, then we can be generous. If we have something, we have it because God gave it to us. If God gave it to us and he wants it to us to give it away, then that's okay. A pipe is okay with that. But because a pipe knows there, there's more where that came from. You and I, we live in a world of abundance. We live in a country of abundance. And it's all come from God. 
we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving this week. Abundance, a celebration of God's provision for each of us. Everything, we, everything you're going to celebrate came from God. No, it came from my hard work. Well, who gave you a body and a mind and the opportunity to get an education and a job to be able to earn that? God did. Everything we have comes from Him. To me, this is the most freeing of, of these reasons. That, that, that everything I have came from God, and if I give it away, He knows how to give it right back to me. You're connected to the owner of everything. You're a pipe connected to the owner of everything. You can afford to do this. You can afford to let things pass through you. That's why pipes are relaxed and buckets are uptight. Because pipes know that uh, there's more where that came from. But you slosh water out of a bucket and it's got less water in the bucket. Pipes are connected to a constant supply. A lot of these reasons correspond a lot to the reasons articulated in this book on generosity. It's not a Christian book, but it just talks about the fact that if you live... If, if, if you live as a Jesus follower and you know you're connected to the source of everything and you know you live in abundance because God provides for you, that's the kind of mindset that generous people have that frees them up from worry. Why are they happier than uh, uh, people who are not generous? Because they know that they're going to be taken care of. I mean, all these reasons uh, line up. The third or the fourth reason is uh, pipes are happier than buckets because pipes are connected to other pipes. Pipes are connected to other pipes, and when you exercise generosity, whether it's generosity in your finances or your time, you're making disciples in the church, a difference in the world, as you are doing that, you are connecting with other people. That's one of the reasons that people who research generosity think that generous people are happier people, because when you are generous, you are partnering uh, generosity fosters relationships. It fosters relationships with the people who are partnering with you in giving, and it fosters relationships with the people you are giving to. And uh, there's tons of research that, pe- that shows that people who have social ties are happier people, people who have relationships with others. And when you are generous with, uh, uh, with people who are generous with you and towards people who need generosity, you're strengthening and fostering those kinds of relationships that make a person happy. Pipes are connected to other pipes, and that's why they're happier than buckets. And the last reason here, reason number five, is, is the reason pipes are happier than buckets, and you're happier if you're a pipe and not a bucket, is because God is a pipe. God is not a bucket. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You hear all the gracious generosity in that? God is, is, is a giver. He is not just a giver. He's the giver. He gave His own Son to His own hurt so that we who are weak and needy could benefit. How about this? From the book of Romans. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him generously give us all things? God is gracious. He is our model. He's been gracious with us. He will continue to be gracious with us. And when we are like him, we are happier. 
When you and I learn to be gracious and abundant and generous with what we have, then we're becoming more like Jesus. So, of course, we're going to be happier as we become more like Jesus. We're happier when we live like pipes because we were designed to be pipes, because we're playing our role in a bigger story, because we are connected to other pipes, because we're connected to a a constant supply, and because we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's what happens when we live like pipes. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You are more blessed and more are blessed. When we operate graciously in connection with God and and play our part in the world, we're at our happiest. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. What you have not heard me say today is if if you're generous with your money, God will give you more money. You haven't heard me say that. If you have, we we, we need to go a little longer. Uh, You haven't heard me say if God... If you're generous, everything's going to go great for you. You're just going to skip a long life because you're learning to be generous. You haven't heard me say that. It's not when you give money, everything always goes right. It's not when you give time, everything always goes right. It's this. When we're generous like God, living like pipes and not buckets, we can enjoy that joyful, content, just right state of being that comes from God alone. So how do you become less like a bucket? That's really my goal for us over these Sundays, is that we would become less like a bucket and more like a pipe. We said last week it starts with the change of mindset, the renewing of our minds. And so, so we're learning, we're, we're reinforcing truth. That's what we're doing today. Uh, and, but, but that's not enough. It gets stronger by doing. We've got to do. We've got to put it into practice. If you don't put it into practice, you're not going to learn this. You're going to hear it for a few Sundays, and you're going to walk away, and you're going to, you're going to revert back to your original shape. All right. But if you will take this truth and begin to believe it and then put it into practice, even if you start in little ways, then uh, that's how you really begin to grow. So, what are some things that you can do? How can you put this into practice? Well, hey, give thanks at your table this week. And when you give thanks at your table on Thursday, and you reflect on all the blessings that you're enjoying, do that. Be thankful. But recognize where they come from. And recognize that uh, those blessings, all those blessings aren't supposed to stop at your table. There are some things that God wants to give. Some of the abundance He's given you, He wants to Go to other people. So how can you do that? How can you build that into your life? Let me, let me give you just a couple of encouragements. So at your table this week, think about that. And then start easy. Start easy. Pay it forward. I mean, I, I challenge you. I've got a few hands, a couple of people who did it. Why not? Why would you not do it? And if it's because I really don't like to spend my money that way, then you need to go this afternoon to this coffee shop and buy someone's coffee. Because you need to learn to loosen that up. You need, to, you need to exercise that muscle. Pay it forward somewhere in the valley. Or on, uh, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, when that frustrating member of your family comes over. Give them the generosity of your undivided attention and your patience. And just see if you could do that. Generosity. And then when you got your muscle nice and warmed up, do something meaningful before the end of the year. Coats for kids. you got one more day for Operation Christmas Child. I think it's got to be here by tomorrow. I'm going to say noon. I might be wrong. Flo, if they got it here by noon, is that too late? Eleven. 
11, you can still do a box. Blue Ridge Christmas. We're going to have some tables for Blue Ridge Christmas and our opportunity to care for these kids at Blue Ridge Elementary. Uh, if, if you want to make an investment for the gospel that will have ripple effects for decades and generations, then think about giving to the Coconut Oil Project. I introduced it last week. John and Aaron doing Bible translation in a part of uh, an island nation in the Pacific whose partners are investing in a coconut oil factory business uh, for a, a village, and that will enable them to stay in the country and work on Bible translation. You can give to that tremendous project or this uh, video that you saw this morning and our students going to the Navajo Nation this summer between these two projects, about $15,000. Now, my goal is not to push these projects. I'm not trying to fundraise for them. That's not what these messages are about. These messages, this study is about you and I becoming more generous, and these opportunities are just ways that you can exercise your generosity muscle as God leads you. So, I'll leave you with that, and I I hope that uh, what God will do is just reinforce in your mind that this is true, Jesus is right, and you can learn to live like this. Father, help us. Uh, These things that Jesus teaches, they go against the way that we're wired. They go against the way that our culture functions, and uh, we need you to to help us. We need you to help us become more trusting and more positive and confident in your continued provision. So, help us to do this. Help us to exercise our generosity muscle and make us aware of opportunities when you want us to do this. And we pray it through Jesus. Amen.